big idea of this passage is that Jesus came as a baby so we might become children of God. Christmas time, we put up our Christmas tree, and our kids are excited about Christmas as well. Christmas is a time where we celebrate Jesus' birth. From now until Christmas, we anticipate with God's people as, as they anticipated and look forward to the coming Messiah. So as we anticipate Christmas, we're also anticipating along with God's people. They were looking forward to a Messiah who would come. God had promised to send a Savior. And in the same way that they look forward to the Savior coming, we're also looking forward to Christmas coming. Now, this Sunday we're starting a four-part series of messages on Christmas, uh, focused around Christmas. Today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Next week, Luke is going to preach from the Old Testament, looking at Isaiah chapter 9. And then the last two weeks of December will be in the book of Matthew, in chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew. We're going to focus now on Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Just a little bit of background on the book of Galatians. This is probably the oldest letter that Paul wrote that we have. So this is one of the first letters that he wrote to churches. Um, and he's writing this to the congregations, the, the different local churches in the region of Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. And this book as a whole is an excellent presentation of the gospel of Jesus. Paul is reminding them of what they believed at the beginning. They've gone astray from their belief. They've started to believe other things. They're going back to, to works and thinking they're saved by what they do instead of saved by what Jesus did and faith in Him. So he's reminding them of the gospel. So if you want to read a great presentation of the gospel, read the whole book of Galatians. It's not that long, and it's really helpful to understand the gospel of Jesus and Paul's message. But in this passage that we're going to look at today, Paul talks about the process of a Christian, of someone moving from being a slave to the world and condemned by the law, so having guilt because of the law of God, moving from being a slave to being a child of God. We're going to see that this transformation from a slave to the world to a child of God comes only through the work of Jesus. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get into the passage this morning. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Please follow along as I read. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
the big idea of this passage is that Jesus came as a baby so we might become children of God. As we look at this passage, we're going to look at three different parts. First is slavery or slaves, and then Jesus, and then sons. So three points or three parts, slaves, Jesus, and sons. Point number one is slaves. We're going to look specifically at verses one to three. Now before this passage in chapter three, Paul is reminding his audience of Jewish history, how early on God had promised Abraham Abraham, who is the the father of the whole Jewish race, God promised him that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. And then Paul explains that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise, and that anyone, not just Jews, can share in the blessing that was given to Abraham through faith in Jesus. The end of chapter 3, it finishes like this. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's why he says in verse 1 here, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. So picture a young prince, a small boy who will one day be king. But today, he has to learn how to read and to write. He has to learn how to use a fork and a spoon properly and not talk with his mouth full of food. Paul says that though he is the owner of everything, in verse 2, he's still under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So this young prince has to submit to people who he will rule over one day. He has to go, and he also has pressure to grow up in a certain way. He needs to mature in the right way that when he becomes king like his father, He would be a good king. A good king knows how to spell words and divide numbers and tie his own shoes. And so as a young boy, he has to learn these things and be disciplined in those ways. Maybe he wonders if he'll ever measure up. Maybe he wonders if he's good enough. And he probably longs for that proper time to come when he'll be free of the guardians and the managers and when he will be in charge, when he will take control of what he already owns. So verse 3 tells us that uh, Paul says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul says that for Christians, we are similar to this, this young boy, this owner, who is acting as or is in the place of a slave. So we used to be slaves to the world. That's what he means by the elementary principles of the world. But we were chosen by God. Even though we are chosen by God, we were once under the authority of the world. This is before we were saved. We were stuck, slaves to sin and to death. And not only that, we had carried the weight of our sin in light of God's law. God's law said that we were sinners, and we carried with us guilt for that sin. We see later on in verse 5, that Jesus came to redeem those who are under the law. So not only are we under the elementary principles of the world of sin, but also under the law, meaning pointing out our sin. We see from God's law that we are sinful. The law itself does not save us. It just points out that we need a Savior. So all people everywhere are slaves to sin and are under the law. 
We are judged, we, and we are held responsible for our sin, for our wicked hearts. So for Christians today, it's healthy for us to remember what our lives looked like, what condition we were in before we were saved. Think about who you were before God saved you. You were a, a slave to sin, and you were helpless to save yourself, no matter how good or bad your life looked at that time. Whether you were a young kid, whether you were an adult when you were saved, you were still a slave to sin and helpless to save yourself. So think about that. It's good to think about what we were like before because we were all in that condition. We were all slaves at that time. So don't forget about what God has saved you from. If you're listening this morning and you're not a Christian, the Bible says that you're still a slave. You're under the judgment of the law. You're a slave to the elementary principles of the world. We know from the Bible that God requires perfection. To have a right relationship with Him, we must be perfect. We can't disobey His law even in one place. If we do, then we, then we are opposed to Him, that we are sinful. And maybe you say, that's impossible. Nobody can keep God's law. And you'd be right to say that. None of us can keep God's law, and no one does. It is impossible for a person to live the life that God requires in order to be right with Him. But it's not hopeless. As a slave, we know that we need to be redeemed. We need to be set free from our slavery. And that's what brings us to point number two. First point was slaves. Second point is Jesus. Let's look at verses four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 4 says, the fullness of time had come. This is connected to verse 2, where it says, of the heir. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So in that illustration, the father sets the date. When he, is no, when he is no longer under the guardians and managers. In verse 4, we see that God is the one who determines the fullness of time. We don't want to miss this subtle truth that we see from this short passage, first part of verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. It's God who determines the fullness of time. God is the one who is in control of all these events, and He has been from the very beginning of time. He's not late in what we think might be late. He doesn't delay because He doesn't care. He waits until it's the right time to act and to move. He's not blind to our sufferings. He's not blind to the pain of the world. His timing is right, and His timing is perfect. He knows when the fullness of time has come. Just as a, a child needs to grow up and mature, so the world was moving through a a period of maturity until the fullness of time had come. And that's when God acted. So when God was ready, out of the riches of His mercy and love, verse 4 says, God sent forth His Son. Now the timing of Jesus' coming could have been related to, and we know that God was in control of the circumstances around it. It was a good time for Him to come, somewhat related to the Roman authority in that time. When Jesus came, he came to a place that was under the rule of Rome. And in the Roman Empire, there was relative peace. There was good roads where people and news could travel 
efficiently throughout. And also at that time, crucifixion was still a means of execution. Crucifixion was hanging someone on a cross in a way to uh, kill them through execution. The government was using this. This was all in place at the time when Jesus came, and God knew that these things were in place. God knew that Jesus was going to die on a cross. He also knew that the message was going to go out throughout the whole world, starting in Jerusalem and moving out from there. So God knew it was the right time to send His Son. And the time was right for the people as well. They had been under the law for long enough, and it was time to set them free. God knew that to redeem them was to set them free from the slavery that they were under. Now, as God sends His Son, it says God sent forth His Son. In sending His Son, this this does not mean that Jesus was not part of the decision or part of the plan. Jesus was part of this plan the whole time. This is not God saying to His Son, hey, you go and do that work. No, it says God sent forth His Son, but we know from the rest of Scripture, God the Father and the Son are working together for the same goal. And as Jesus came, Jesus is God. So God, through Jesus, came into the world. It's God Himself. The Bible says He put flesh on. He put on a body. He became a human. He became a person and came into the world. That's why, still in verse 4, it says, God sent forth His Son, born of woman. This points to the humanity of Jesus. It's interesting that He did not come as a full-grown man, but He was born of woman. He came as a baby. He entered humanity as all humans do, a baby in his mother's tummy, and then entering the world through birth. Jesus did the same thing. He's a a person, he's a human, but he's so small. He had a heartbeat. He needed to breathe air like the rest of us. His fingernails would need to be trimmed. His diaper would need to be changed. God was a little person. That's incredible to think about. And along with that, he was born of woman and then born under the law. And this part is really important for us. See, the law was broken. God's law was broken by the first man, Adam. Adam failed to keep God's law. And because he sinned, the rest of us are born into a sin nature. We also fail to keep God's law. We cannot uphold it. We cannot follow it perfectly or even come close to following it perfectly. So it is fitting and it is right that a man would come and live and follow God's law perfectly and without sin in order to be the sacrifice that Jesus was. So it was important that God would come, that God would come as a man, that a man would live perfectly. We see more about this in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2 talks about how it's important that Jesus was a man, that he was human like us. Hebrews chapter 2 says that, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every, every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 2 also says that it is fitting that God should make the founder of their salvation, that would be our salvation, perfect through suffering. So it was important that, that God would come, that Jesus came as a man, and that he would suffer as a man. In doing that, he did that in our place. So this is important that Jesus was a man. It was necessary that our Savior be a man and that he live and suffer as a man. Now, at the end of point number one, when we talked about slavery, 
I was talking to those who were not believers. I said that if you're not a Christian, then you're still a slave to sin and to guilt from the law. But here in verse 5, this is the best news ever. The best news ever that you will ever hear. It says, God sent forth His Son, and then verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the best news that anyone of us could ever hear. God sent His Son so that we would be redeemed. Redeemed because we are under the law and so that we might receive adoption as sons. Redeemed means to pay the debt and to set free. At this time, slaves were, had some kind of debt. They were, typically were working because they had a debt. They were paying off their debt. So to redeem a slave is to pay the debt that they owed. They no longer have to work in those conditions to pay off their debt. And we as people have a debt because of our sin. We owe God because we have gone against His law. But it's a debt we can never pay. But we are not helpless and hopeless anymore. As slaves, you do not have to continue as a slave because of this good news. God has made a way for all sinners to be set free. And that is through sending His Son. The end of verse 5 tells us that not only does God set His people free, but He adopts them as His own children. This is a two-part good news, being set free and then adopted as God's children. Remember verse 1 of chapter 4 here talks about, Paul's talking about the heir, the heir, the, the one who would take over for his father. He emphasized that all who are in Christ are heirs, they're sons of God. Like I mentioned before, the, the main point of this passage is that Jesus came as a baby, so we might become children of God. We see that in verse 4 and 5. Jesus came as a baby. He came into the world as a person, as a human. He put flesh on in order to free sinners to be adopted into God's family. Now, as we celebrate Christmas, Christmas season can be stressful at times. Many of us have extra activities, uh, parties, or we have the Christmas service coming up in a few weeks. There's extra food to make. There's people to see and to catch up with. There's presents to buy for people here, for people back home. For some of us, Christmas can also be a lonely time. Maybe some don't have Christmas parties and extra activities that other people have. But as God's people, no matter if we have too much to do or not enough to do, as God's people, we must not be overwhelmed by activity or sit in despair because we don't have activity. Instead, we should act out the anticipation of God's people, looking forward to their Savior. We want to enter into that anticipation, the looking forward to seeing God's promise fulfilled in Jesus. That's what we do as we look forward to Christmas during this time. We look forward to Emmanuel, to God with His people. And we see that in this passage. Now, Lord willing, this week, Peter and Lisa are going to add a new baby to their family. Now, the fullness of time has almost come for them. Lisa might say that the fullness of time has come and gone. <laughs> and it's really time. Now, we're excited for Peter and Lisa and Zoe and Verity as they welcome this new baby into their family. And I know they're excited. We pray for a safe and healthy delivery. I'm really glad that they plan to have a baby at this time so we can, I can use them as an example. I really appreciate that. Thanks, guys. 
Now, just as their family is anticipating this new baby entering the world, we too should remember the anticipation of God coming to earth as a baby. They're excited for their new baby, as they should be. Our joy over Jesus' birth is even greater because His arrival has eternal significance. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one who has come to redeem those who are under the law. And we sang a song earlier called God Made Low. If you look at the, the first paragraph, the last line says, The time to save the world has come. So Christmas is a time to celebrate this fullness of time. The fullness of time that brings us to, up to the birth of Jesus. All the waiting and the anticipation is complete. Now it is time. The time to save the world has come. That's what Jesus is stepping into. So we remember, we should remember and celebrate that God made himself low. Like the chorus in that song says, Our God made low to raise us up. Jesus came as a baby, so we might become children of God. So we've talked about slaves, and we've talked about Jesus. The final point this morning is sons. Sons. The end of verse 5 says, So that we might receive adoption as sons. And then verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now this passage talks a lot about sons. By talking about sons so much, it is not excluding daughters or in any way diminishing women here. At the time that this was written, a son would be the heir to his father's estate. A daughter would not have that right or that position. So being a son of God here, using that as, as an illustration or a picture, it means that we are adopted as heirs. We are adopted as one who would inherit what the father has. Like it says at the end of verse 7, that if a son, then an heir through God. So all Christians have the status of being heirs, of being ones who would inherit what the Father has. We would receive those things from Him. The Bible talks about Jesus being the firstborn of God, or God's Son. So Jesus is like the older brother. And all of us Christians are adopted into God's family, and we're at the same level below Jesus as God's children. Now Paul addressed this in chapter 3, verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's clear that this adoption as sons is important for us to know that we will inherit what God has. There's not a distinction between God's children of male and female, but all are on the same level. Spiritually, we're all equal before God as it relates to our salvation and our position before Him. I think if it said sons and daughters, there would be room to interpret uh, some kind of separation within God's family. But because it says sons, we are all equal before God in that way of being heirs, being ones to inherit what God has. Now verse 6 says that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. God has sent the Spirit of His Son. It's difficult to find a more clear statement about the Trinity, God's triune nature, than right here in this verse. In the Bible, we see that God reveals Himself as one God with three distinct persons. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no good or appropriate way that we can describe God's, the, the Trinity, God's triune nature, other than what the Bible says. We want to look to what the Bible says about God and what God says about Himself. How does He reveal Himself? And we see that here. God has sent the Spirit of His Son. In verse 4, we saw that God sent forth His Son. And then here, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into the hearts of those who are His children. So it's important to see that all three persons of the Trinity are active here in salvation, in salvation of God's people. And then it says that God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, Abba here is the Hebrew word for Father. And this phrase infers an experience with this father. There's a relationship between the father and child by saying, Abba, Father, in this way. A child, a child who knows her father well and knows him to be good calls him in this way, Father, or Daddy, or Abba, Father, something like that. It's difficult for a child who does not know their father to use this type of language. As one commentator puts it, Christ secures our status as sons, as we read in verse 5, that we might receive adoption as sons. So what Christ did gives us the status. This is the certificate with the red chop that says God's child. But it's God's Spirit living in us that gives us the experience of God as our Father. So there's status and there's experience. And we need both to know God as our good Heavenly Father. We need the status. That's what Christ accomplished on the cross to allow us to be adopted into God's family. And then the Spirit is the one who helps us experience being God's child. One of the best parts about being a father is coming home and having my kids drop what they're doing and yell, Daddy, and run to me and give me a hug. I love that. And it's that type of call here. It's that type of picture when it says, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit helps us to be able to call out to God in that way, to know Him, to say, Daddy, to know Him and to know He's good. Now, one thing we should notice is that God has given Himself to us in two different ways, at two different times in this passage. Verse 4, it says, God sent forth His Son. God is giving Himself through Jesus. And then here in verse 6, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. So God, again, is giving Himself through the Spirit to dwell in our hearts. What a wonderful dad. What a great father. These are amazing gifts. He gives salvation and he gives himself in relationship with us. Verse 7 says that so you are no longer a slave but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. So for those of us who are Christians, we call God father. We are not slaves anymore, but we are sons. We are his children. And there are some benefits to being his children. It says we're an heir through God. One of these benefits is that we get a good and loving father. All of us have earthly fathers. We, we all have biological fathers, and all of them are not perfect. It's very easy for us at times, many times, to project onto God the character and the actions of our earthly father. We can assume sometimes, many times, that God is like our earthly father, even without thinking about it. We might assume that God is grumpy or that he's easily angered because Maybe that's how our Father acted toward us. We might expect God to treat us the way our Heavenly Father treated us. Maybe in unkindness, 
Maybe in spoiling us and giving us everything we want and ask for, no matter if we need it or not. It's wise for us to think about how we think about God, to consider, do do I project onto God what my Father used to act like and, and how He is? And when we can identify those ways of, I'm assuming that God is this certain way because that's how my earthly father was. When we find those, we want to ask God to help us to know who He really is, to replace that understanding with who God really is, to actually know Him, because He's not like our earthly father. Our earthly fathers are sinful, and they're men. They, they may be great, and they do great things, and we can learn from them, but we know that they're limited, but God is not. So we want to grow in our relationship with God so that we can reach a point where we call Him Abba, Father. We call Him Daddy. No matter what our relationship is with our earthly father, we can call our heavenly father Daddy. We can cry out to Him in love and experiencing His love and goodness, crying out Abba, Father. And it's God's Spirit that brings us to that point, that helps us to reach that point of love and understanding and knowledge of our heavenly father. So spend time knowing your Heavenly Father. We do this by reading the Bible and by praying, and it's helpful to identify those places where we may be assuming God is a certain way, but He's really not. Let's look at His Word. How does He reveal Himself? How does He show Himself? Ask Him for help to know who He really is. Another benefit of being an heir is that we have the Holy Spirit. God has given His Holy Spirit to all Christians. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance of our status as God's children. And He also helps us to understand God's Word and ultimately to know God more. Another benefit is that we also have an inheritance to enjoy in eternity. We can look forward to an inheritance with God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that God through Jesus has saved us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we can look forward to this inheritance. We don't know exactly what it looks like. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know that it is secure. It is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading, and that God is keeping it secure. And if He's good enough to give us His Son for our salvation and give us His Spirit that we might know Him, we can trust that this inheritance is incredible and is worth striving for and worth longing for. Now, the flow of this passage and and this message today is very interesting. We should take note of this. If you've taken notes, you can see that the three points are slaves, Jesus, and then sons. And each Christian has a story that has these highlights in their story. Each Christian testimony should have these things. I was a slave to sin and guilt, and then Jesus saved me. And now I am a child of God. Now, I am a son, an heir of the promise. So consider your own story. Have you been adopted into God's family? If not, then the Bible says that you must repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. For those of us who have been adopted into God's family already, we're called to live as His children. We want to cry out to Him from our hearts, Daddy, Abba, Father, brothers and sisters, be encouraged today and for the rest of your days that we have a good and loving Heavenly Father who has given us good gifts. He's given us salvation through Jesus, and He's given us Himself through the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Let's pray. God, we come to You, our Father, and we cry, Abba, Father. God, we love You. 
and we need you. Help us, Lord, to rely on you, to celebrate well your wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus, your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.